Tamir. Okay, so this week we read Parshat Vayetzer. I sent out originally, the, the idea was to talk about Eliphaz, Esav, respecting parents. Uh, so I'm going to go into it. I have so much stuff. You're going to have uh, maybe a little hard to follow because there's so much, so much information. Um, but I think we're good. And if you're going to want to listen again, you can. And if you're going to want a copy of the notes, let me know and I'll send you the notes. So we begin this week's parasha. Vayetze Yaakov mi be'er sheva. Shava. Yaakov goes from be'er sheva and he comes to Haran. We, uh, we begin this week's parasha with Yaakov following the advice of both his mother and his father to leave the land of Israel to travel north to Syria. Remember, his mother was very concerned and she said, you have to leave and wait till your brother's anger calms down. And, uh, and his father also told him, you have to go find a wife by the daughters of Laban. So we learned that although we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Eliezer takes a trip on the flying camels. It takes him 36 hours a century ago to go back and forth. Now Yaakov is going to go to the same place and instead of a 36-hour round trip, it's going to be a, I think, a 36-year round trip. 14 years he spends in Yeshivat Shem Ve'ever preparing to go into Galut and another 20 years at Esau, at uh, Lavan, two years coming back for a total of 36 years. 22 of which he definitely did not see his parents and I'm not certain that he ever saw his mother again because we see that his mother sends her nurse, Devorah, to go to Syria to bring him back. And she dies on the trip back from Syria to Eretz Israel. And the rabbis tell us that at the same time that she died, it's most likely that uh, Rivka died as well. The Gemara Megillah teaches that because Yaakov went for 22 years and did not respect his parents during that time, that Midah Kenegin Midah, Yosef will disappear for 22 years from the life of Yaakov Avinu while Yosef is in Egypt. The Gemara and Megillah teaches that Yaakov was not punished for the 14 years that he spent in Yeshivat Sheva Ever, only those 22 years. We see that the Torah tells us, Kaved et avicha vetimecha, honor your father and your mother, you're going to live a long life in the land that Hashem gave you. The Gemara and Shabbat teaches, there are certain things that a man, he, he eats their fruit in this world and the principles retained for the world to come. One of those things is honoring a mother and a father. I'm puzzled. How could we consider that Yaakov failed to perform kivud avem, a sin? Yaakov fled from Esau for his life at the instructions of his mother. He went to go find a wife at the instruction of his father. So you're going to tell me, he listened to his parents, did exactly what they told him to do, and now you're going to tell me, no, but he didn't respect them. Of course he respected them. Maybe he overextended the trip. Remember we said that uh, Rivka said, enough already, honey, time to come home. And after uh, 15 years or so, she sent uh, Devorah to go get him. But maybe he extended, but for sure he was listening to his parents. And we're criticizing Yaakov for not listening to his parents. In contrast to Yaakov, Chazal are effusive in their praise regarding the mitzvah of Kivud Avaim to who? To Esav. Esav the Rasha, he's the epitome of respecting a parents. Now, I heard Rabbi, Rabbi Farhi gave a beautiful 20-minute class last Friday on respecting parents based on Esav. 
So I was thinking about what he said, and I decided to take the subject we prepared, Eliphaz, who's the son of Esav, and to work in this idea of respecting parents and understanding all that through Esav. And we're going to see all of the people through Esav, how this idea of respecting parents comes back again and again and again. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel said, All my life I tended to my father. Remember, his father's Rabban Gamliel. He's the Nasi. He said, And I didn't do one hundredth part of what Esav did. What was he doing wrong? I used to wait on my father in soiled clothing while Esav went in royal clothing to wait on his father. Rav Nechunia taught in the name of Rav Tanhum Bar Yudan, who caused Yaakov's honor to be withheld in this world. And he says, the great honor that Esav showed for his father, that's the difference between Esav and Yaakov. We see after 22 years when Yaakov is coming back, and Esav is going to meet him. What's he afraid of? He's afraid that Esav has the zechut of Kaver Avicha, that he has the zechut of respecting his father, while he didn't. In Devarim, Hashem tells Kalal Yisrael, go by Edom, don't attack them, don't touch them. You should not provoke them, because I'm going to give you, I'm not going to give you their land. They have inheritance of Har Seir. And why? Because Esav respected his father. The Midrash in Devanim Rabbah says that Esav, later in the form of Edom, was rewarded for what? Honoring his parents. Even more amazing, Rav Yehuda Bar Sima said, Hashem saw Esav destroying his house. The Ben HaMikdash and Hashem remained silent. Why? It says, because Esav still deserves reward for honoring his parents. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he said, I'm paying Esav his due. Esav's a murderer. Yet in the merit of Kivud Avvaim, he's accorded tremendous honor. Given the nature of Yaakov's righteousness and the wicked ways of Esav, how we un- to understand this contrast when it comes to Kivud Avvaim. We're so critical of Yaakov, we're so praising, praising uh, of, of Esav, how? Chazal make it clear that Esav was exemplary in honoring his father, but there's indications that this is not exactly true. It says, Vahi Esav ben Arbaim Shana. Esav was 40 years old, and what did he do? He took two Hittite wives, and they aggravated his parents tremendously. Why does the Torah have to tell us how old Esav was? When he married, what, what do we need to know that he was 40? And the rabbis explained to us, 40 years old, Esav wanted to marry at 40, Arba'im Shana, Esav Hayanim Shal, the Chazir, he's compared to a pig. Why? The, remember now, let's think. There are two signs that signify if an animal is kosher or not. They are, the animal chews its cud, and the animal has a split hoof. So now, there are three animals that the Torah lists that chew its cud, but don't have a split hood. That's the camel, that's the rock badger, and that's the hare. Only one animal has a split hoof, but it doesn't chew its cud, that's the pig. So the pig, when the pig lies down, it lays its legs in front of it, in order to say to the world, hey, look at my, look at my... Like hoofs, they're split. I'm kosher. See, I'm a kosher animal. Says the rabbis, what does Esav do? 
He robs, he plunders, and then he pretends that he's honorable. During the entire 40 years of Esad's youth, from when he hit 13 until he got married at 40, and continuing after that, what happens? He was committing sins. He was doing terrible things. Says, but Esav says, my father married at 40? That means I'm going to marry at 42. I'm going to be just like Yitzhak. I'm going to marry at 40. That's why he's compared to Chazir. Because he sticks out his paws. He says, I'm kosher. Esav says, I'm kosher just like daddy. I'm marrying at 40. Even though all those years he did terrible things. Rashi makes it clear also that Esav marries these women as an act of rebellion against his parents. What's worse is his marriage causes Yitzchak with significant health issues. Rashi explains that the reason why Yitzchak became blind was because his daughter-in-laws were burning incest to idols in his own house. This is who Esav brought home to marry to say, I'm like daddy. I married two Canaanite women worshipping Avodah Zarah, making uh, incense and making my father sick. Even the way Esav speaks to Yitzchak leaves much to be desired. Remember, Esav and Yaakov are twins. We imagine them totally different people, but they are twins. They came out a little different, one red and hairy, one not. Says, but their voices were the same. Their voices were the same. If they spoke, you couldn't tell the difference from voice. When Yaakov masquerades as Esav in order to receive the blessings of the Bechor, what does his father say? His father says, he says, come near me. He says, Hakol kol Yaakov, Esav. The hands are the hands of Esav, because his mother put the sheepskin, but the voice is the voice of Yaakov. What do you mean? But if their voice was the same, how could it be that he recognized it as Yaakov? It's because Yaakov spoke in a beautiful way to his father. He says, Yakuma, he says, please, daddy, please, daddy, please rise. Whereas Esav says, Yakuma vi, get up, get up and eat. So while it appears that Esav is the picture of this dutiful son, marrying at 40, wearing royal robes in Yitzchak's presence, we look at the bigger picture. Esav's first 40 years or, or 27 of those 40 years. He's plundering, he's raping, he's thieving, he's murdering. His whole marriage was an act of rebellion. Esav doesn't speak so nicely to his father. Why is the rabbis telling us that Kivud Avaim is such, such a mitzvah that Esav is doing? This really bothered me tremendously. Earlier we mentioned that Esav's Kivud Av was seen from the fact that he wore this special clothing when he serves his father. Our rabbis explained that Rav Shimon ben Gamliel wore soiled clothing. Why would he wear soiled clothing? It says, as an act of humility, so he would appear like a servant before his father. Esav, on the other hand, wears special clothing where he says to honor his father. But let's look at the nature of the clothing that Esav is wearing. Where did these clothes come from? Batikach rivkat bigde Esav. Rivka takes the clothing of Esav, her older son, Hachamudot. What is the word Hamudot? We're going to try to understand. Asher ita babayit. That was left with her in the house. Vatalvesh et Yaakov And she dresses her younger son. Hamudot means these clothes are precious. Hamudich. But the word also means coveted. 
The Dad Zekanim explains that Esav's special clothing originally belonged to who? Nimrod. Embroidered on these clothing was exceptionally beautiful, lifelike pictures of all the animals. It was a magical clothing. And the animals would be drawn to this clothing and it would make it easier to hunt them. According to the Midrash, where did this clothing come from originally? They were given, these were the clothing that Hashem Himself made for Adam HaRishon after Adam sinned. So remember that. He passes them on to Noah or to, to, to Shem and to Shet and Shet to Noah. And Noah passes them on to Ham. Ham passes them on to his grandson Nimrod. Nimrod, like Esav, is a hunter. Esav was jealous of Nimrod. What did he do? At the age of 13, Esav went and he killed Nimrod in order to take these precious clothes. This is why the Torah uses the language chamudot to indicate that these precious clothes were coveted by who? Esav. He always wanted them. So he hits 13, I'm going to kill this guy, I'm going to take those clothes, they are mine. The root of the word beged, clothing, can also be read as bagad, which means treachery. So now let's think. The name Nimrod shares the same shoresh as the word mored, which means rebellious. Thus Nimrod, the rebellious one, dresses in begadim, which is boged, traitorous. And he's the ultimate personification of rebelling against Hashem with clothes that came to man only through sin. The Zohar Kadosh teaches us, Rabbi Eliezer said, Nimrod used to entice people to worship idols through these garments. It allowed him to conquer the animal world and conquer the physical world and become the ruler and force people to worship him. He was called Nimrod for the reason that he rebelled against the Most High King above. This is from the Zohar. It's fitting that Nimrod would want these clothing specifically. These were made by Adam HaRishon after he sinned. These clothing represent the ultimate in rebellion against Hashem. So what happens? Esav murders Nimrod. He acquires these clothing. They then become part of Esav's clothing, which he keeps where? Only under lock and key at his parents' house with his mother having the lock. And these were the clothes used by Esav whenever he would serve Yitzhak. Remember, Esav was a wealthy man. One imagines that he owned a large wardrobe. Why of all the clothing does he choose to serve his father in these clothing? We're going to come back to this. Our rabbis ask a question. In Judaism, we pretty much make a blessing over everything. Remember the fiddler on the roof, right? What's the blessing on the czar? It says, in Judaism, we make a blessing over everything. Why don't we make a blessing when we serve our parents? Why don't we make a blessing on kivud avayim? Rabbi Akiva Eger gives a very interesting answer. He quotes Binyamin Zev, who answers, We only make a blessing on commandments by which we are sanctified from the other nations. Asher kidishanu vetzivanu. As those nations do not perform those commandments at all. But on commandments which the other nations occasionally observe, we do not make this blessing asher kidishanu. Since they sometimes perform these commandments just like us, such as, he gives the example, honoring 
parents and respecting the elderly. Therefore, he says, we cannot make a beracha asher kiddishan of mitzvotah v'tzivanu, who sanctified us for this mitzvah that is not uniquely Jewish. Every nation, the rabbis tell us, has its source of strength, an area of holiness that allows that nation to sustain itself in this world. It appears that the source, given all of the sources, and again repeating that the source of Esav's strength is his commitment throughout the generations of the mitzvah of Kivud Avvehem. As we're going to see, it's not just Esav who excels in this mitzvah, but it's his legacy for all time. I want to begin with Eliphaz. Last year's class for this parasha, Moshe will remember, Alvin will remember, last year's class was specifically on understanding Eliphaz. But there were some questions that we left that class with that I still did not understand. And I tried to understand, I made notes at the end of the class of things that bothered me. So I went back, I was reminded when I heard Rabbi Farhi's class to go back and look at these questions, and I looked at these questions on Shabbat. The Pasuk in this week's Perashah says, And Yaakov kissed Rachel, he lifted his voice and he wept. He cries. Why does he cry when he sees Rachel? Rashi explains that Yaakov cried because when Eliezer, his grandfather's servant, came to, to Rivka, he had jewelry, he had precious stones, he had gifts, he had his camels, he had fruit, he had clothing. Here he is, Yaakov, he has nothing. And the rabbis ask a question. Were they so cheap that they didn't give him anything to take with him? Did he really go with nothing? Just the clothes on his back or not even those? And the rabbis tell us, no. It says that Yaakov, he left after he went to school. Esav sent his son Eliphaz to go and kill Yaakov Avinu. But Eliphaz, having grown up on Yitzchak's lap, he was reluctant to commit murder. So he asks Yaakov, he says, listen, my father sent me to kill you. What should I do? Rashi says, he tells him, take my clothes, take everything that I have. A poor man is considered as if he's dead. That's the end of the Midrash. What? It doesn't even make sense that this is Yaakov. What did you tell him? Don't kill! You're not allowed to kill! What do you mean? Eliphaz, who is he? He's the father of Amalek. Who ultimately is the grandfather of the nation of Amalek. The eternal enemy of the Jewish people. Why would Yaakov help Eliphaz? Bear in mind that this is the same Yaakov who next week will cross back over the river to grab a few little jars because Rashi says there, Mamonam, their money is more precious to them than their bodies. So if his money is so precious next week to go get a few jars when he's a very, very wealthy man, how come his money's not precious this week that he tells his nephew, take everything, I'm considered dead. Furthermore, if Yaakov is already having a halachic conversation with Eliphaz, who grew up on the knee of Yitzhak, he could simply say, if a parent tells a child to open the light on Shabbat, they can't listen. So too, Eliphaz, you can't murder me 
just because your father told you to. Murdering me is not kaveret avicha. If as the grandson of Yitzhak Avinu Eliphaz is truly sensitive, he certainly should understand this argument. Let's suggest that perhaps Yaakov Avinu understood that Kivud Avvaem is the spiritual heritage of Esav. Yaakov understood that through this mitzvah that Esav and his descendants would achieve their tikkun, rectification. Though Yaakov would be impoverished, it was worthwhile to Yaakov Avinu to give all of his money to Eliphaz, allow Eliphaz to fulfill the mitzvah of Kivud Avvaem even in this crazy way. Also, see last year's class, where we said that there was a purpose in, in Yaakov being impoverished, because the test of poverty always precedes the test of wealth. Let's remember that. Our Chachamim count Eliphaz, the son of Esav, the father of Amalek, among the seven prophets of the Goyim, who merited that the Shekhinah should rest upon him. The Ramah of Pano, who teach, he teaches, and this was what we discussed last year, that Unculus, he was an Ibor of Eliphaz. The soul of Eliphaz came into Unculus. Who was Unculus? The nephew of Hadrian Caesar, who converted to Judaism, who studied under Rav Eliezer ben Hyrcanus and Rav Yoshua ben Hanania, and he authored Targum Unculus, and for centuries, so many Jews, countless, countless, read. They read Shinayim Mikra, twice the, the Torah portion, and once the Targum of Unculus. Unculus is a part of our life. What was it that allowed Eliphaz to attain such spiritual heights and such unbelievable progeny? On the one hand, we suggested that as Yaakov represented the pillar of Torah, and Eliphaz spared Yaakov, Eliphaz merited being a central part of the learning of Torah. And that's why not a week goes by where we don't learn Unkulus. We could also suggest that it was fulfilling the mitzvah of Kivud Am Va'em by Eliphaz. Still, we're left with a couple of questions, which we hope to return to at the end. Rav Moshe Basri in Harnof, he suggests that the name Eliphaz can be read as Alai Paz. To me will come the gold, the silver, the jewels. This could have been the wish of Esav. And he expressed it by naming his son, show me the money, Alai Paz. I should have everything, right? Perhaps we could understand this and the inherent, val- the inherent nature of Eliphaz to appreciate money. Maybe Yaakov understood Alai Paz, maybe Eliphaz has this desire for money, so he's going to really believe that if gold is so important in someone's life, then a person destitute really is considered death. Life really is worthless without money. Now, although Eliphaz seemed to initially accept this, the rabbis continue and suggest that Eliphaz, growing on the knee of Yitzchak and learning with Yaakov, rejected the ways of his father Esav, he becomes this prophet, this best friend and advisor of Eov. Rav Basri brings an unbelievable point. He says, Indeed, we find in him positive points. And his name, the name Eliphaz, appears as one of the names of the amulet that serves as a virtue for women who have difficulty giving birth. 
We create an amulet for women who with difficulty, and the name Eliphaz is part of that. How could that be crazy? The Midrash says we have to keep in mind the risk that Eliphaz took. For what he did, Esav might have killed his own son in his anger. You didn't fulfill my commandment. I told you to kill Yaakov. You didn't kill him. It's interesting. Where did he learn to risk his life in order to fulfill, to do the right thing? The rabbis say that Eliphaz learned from Yitzchak at the Akedah. Yitzchak at the Akedah was willing to give up everything. To give up everything. And therefore, Eliphaz learned he was willing to save his uncle, even if it cost him his life. What's strange also is that we hear the story of Timnah. Who's Timnah? She's a princess. She learns about the true God. She wishes to become part of the family of Abraham Avinu. But the Avot do not take her in as a wife. The Gemara suggests that the name Timnah indicates that she was prevented she was prevented by the Avot taking on the Ol Mahut Shamayim, the heavenly yoke. So in desperation, she can't marry into the family of Abraham. She willingly accepts becoming a concubine of Yitzchak's grandson, Eliphaz. But if she was on this level of being a Sadeket, and that's what it seems, and Eliphaz was on some level of being a Sadiq, one of the seven Nevi'im of the Goyim, how is it possible for Eliphaz and Timnah to give birth to Amalek? Amalek is not only the enemy of Bnei Israel. Amalek is in essence the enemy of Hashem himself, Midor Dod, from generation to generation. The rabbis explained that by preventing Timnah from joining the Avot, the result was Amalek who fought against us for generations. They were prevented, Amalek, to ever join the Jewish people for generations. Furthermore, we're told that Amalek has no remedy because they're all utterly evil. But again, why? I believe the answer could lie in like father, like son. Just as Eliphaz grew up on the knee of his grandfather Yitzchak, he emulated his grandfather Yitzchak, the Torah tells us in Devarim that Amalek grew up in the bosom of Esav. Amalek grew up in the bosom of his own grandfather Esav. He was named Amalek after the name that came to lick up the blood of Israel like a dog. Amlak. Amalek is the complete opposite of B'nai Israel. Yisrael, Yud, Shin, Resh, Yashar, straight to Hashem. Yeshurun, straight to Hashem. We take the name Amalek, we reverse the letters Makel, crooked, curved. And as the name implies, it's coiled like a serpent. Recall last week that Esav has a birthmark on him in the shape of the serpent. This is the earthly manifestation of the snake in Esav, and he gives this over to his grandson Amalek. Says in the Yalkut, Said Esav to Amalek, How close I came to killing Yaakov, but I was unsuccessful. Tells Amalek, Esav, set your mind to my revenge. Our rabbis also teach that Amalek was the one who came to tell Lavan, Yaakov left. 
When Lavan, you'll see next, you'll, oh, it's the end of this. Lavan is there and Yaakov leaves and Esav comes to tell, I mean, Amalek comes to tell Lavan he left so he should go after him to kill him. He was the one who came and told the king of Egypt the nation fled. He was the one who ambushed B'nai Israel when they entered the land of Canaan. Eliphaz HaTemani said to his son Amalek, when I said to my father, who is the heir? He said to me, my son Israel inherits this world and the next world. So Eliphaz suggested to his own son Amalek, go out, dig wells for them, set up roads for them. If you do your share, be with the least of them and you'll come to the next world. And he did not do so, but went out to destroy the whole world. Yonatan ben Uziel in his translation reveals to us that Eliphaz ben Ada, the wife of Esav, is the friend of Eov. Said Eov to Eliphaz, look at what your father did. Eliphaz turns to Eov and says, I have no business with him. By growing Eliphaz in the bosom of Yitzhak, he became a righteous man, was worthy of Ruach HaKodesh. He's worthy to be among those seven prophets. Despite the good points that were in Eliphaz and Timnah, the Gemaran Sanhedrin tells us she was a daughter of kings like we mentioned. What happened? She was considered waste of the Avot and waste came from her and that waste is Amalek. Amalek did not follow his father's footsteps but obeyed the command of his grandfather. Say like father like son. Eliphaz followed his grandfather Yitzchak. Amalek his grand, followed his grandfather Esav. We often observe that a son rebels against his father for good or for bad, but in some way the grandson adheres to the grandfather. We have the grandfather's the rabbi, the son becomes a businessman, the grandson becomes a rabbi, or vice versa. Maybe this helps to answer the question. Let's continue. There's a story we've all heard of Dama ben Netina. Who was Dama? He was a nobleman, a goy, who lived in Ashkelon. Chazal in both Yerushalmi and Bavli, with slight differences that I saw in the Midrash, tell about the tremendous respect that Dama ben Netina accorded to his parents. I like the Midrash's version, I'm going to give you that one. Teaches that Rabbi Eliezer was asked, to what extent does one have to respect their parents? He answered, go and see what Dama ben Netina, a Gentile from Ashkelon, did for his father. Once the rabbis wanted to purchase a, a precious stone from Dama for the Avne Shocham, in the effort, for the, the uh, shoulder, from the, for the Kohen Gadol for a large amount of money. Dama had this stone. He went into the room where he kept his jewels and into the chest where he kept his, his jewels. But he saw that his father was sleeping and his father was resting his feet on this chest. So Dama is faced with a choice. Do I wake up my father, take out the jewel to sell it, or do I let my father sleep? Thinking, So he came out and said, Sorry guys, I can't sell you the stone. Thinking that Dama wished to get a higher price for the gem, the rabbis there said, You know, we'll give you more money. 
and they're negotiating with themselves, giving him more money. And he said, even if you give me the entire house of gold and silver, I would not awaken my father. According to the Midrash, at that moment, the father wakes up. He enters the room, which allows Dama to go get the gem. The rabbis now offered Dama the increased amount of money that they said they would give him. But Dama says, no, the first amount that you were going to give me, that's what I accept. I don't want to sell the sikhar, the reward of the mitzvah of Kivud Av. The rabbis tell us, what was the reward of Dama? He did this incredible, incredible thing, not waking his father. So a year after exactly, was born to Dama, a paraduma. And when he went to sell it to the rabbis, he said, I can ask you for any amount, but all I want is the difference from what you were going to give me for the stone if you were increasing. Not. When the people heard this, really, how do you hear something that everyone should hear? Everyone could hear the, the story of a paraduma. There was so few born. The people said the duty of honoring parents is truly great in the eyes of Hashem. Therefore, Hashem blessed Dama ben Netina. Everyone learned about respecting parents from this story of Dama. So the question I had is, what's the connection between Dama ben Netina, the performance of the mitzvah of respecting a father, and the reward of Paraduma? If we remember, when Esav is born, the Pasuk told us last week, The first one comes out completely red, like a coat of hair. And they named him Esav. When we learn about Paraduma, it says, He says, He says, He says, the paraduma is again completely red, can't have two white or two black hairs. The same as Esav comes out completely covered in hair red. The story of Dama ben Netina is deeply connected to the story of Esav. The name Dama is the same letters as the name Edom. Aleph, Dalid, Mem, Dalid, Mem, Aleph. Esav is described as ruddy as red. He's ultimately the nation of Edom, Rome, that's descended from Esav. We see that Esav is attracted to gold and silver. Dama says, even if you gave me a whole house of gold and silver, I say, no, I won't give up the mitzvah. Dama is rewarded with a paraduma, a red, heifer, a red heifer, and Esav is born red and ruddy. Dama ben Netina shares the same spiritual DNA with Esav. Remember, there were two Avne Shocham in the effort. The names of six tribes were on one. The names of six tribes were on the other. The two stones initially were meant to represent Yaakov and Esav. Initially, had Esav followed the plan of Yitzchak, there would have been six tribes from Yaakov and six tribes from Esav. Remember, we learned that Yitzchak hoped his sons would be like Yisachar and Zivulun. Esav representing Malchut, Yaakov representing the spiritual. Furthermore, we learned and we're going to discuss in the coming weeks as Leah was in some way the other half of the soul of Esav, her six children are in some way connected to Esav. 
When Esav sold the birthright, he forfeited his half of the Shabbatim and his stone in the ephod. Latid Lavo, in the future, Esav regrets his decision to sell the rights of the firstborn. He couldn't bear to be not included in the ephod. His intent to kill Yaakov Avinu was an attempt to regain his position as a father of the Shabbatim to be reinserted into the ephod. Only he couldn't kill Yaakov immediately because Yitzchak was still alive. The mitzvah of Kivud Av outweighed his desire to regain his position. He would have to bide his time and the opportunity didn't present itself again in his chance. Dama ben Netina is the spiritual heir of Esav. Initially, he has a desire to arouse his father so that he could reinsert Esav into the ephod. Though he would have sold the rabbis the stone, he, he would have sold the rabbis the stone, he would have restored Esav to the ephod. It could have been a tikkun for Esav, but he would have violated the mitzvah of kivud av, respecting parents. By holding back from the sale and fulfilling the mitzvah of kivud av, Dama is ultimately able to rectify some way his ancestor Esav. He made the sale of the stone to be used as one of the Avnei Shoham in the end. In this way, Esav has some representing part in the effort of the Kohen Gadol. With this in mind, we better understand Rashi when he quotes the Midrashim. Esav is the ultimate pig. Esav is like a pig, the ultimate hypocrite. He portrays himself to his father as one thing, but to others he's something else. But let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves a question. Which one was the true Esav? Was Esav the murderer, the rapist, the thief? Was that him? If so, why does he care about marrying at 40 at all like his father? Why won't he kill Yaakov in Yitzchak's lifetime? Why does he care about having his name placed in the effort of the Kohen Gadol? In truth, it seems that Esav, like many of us, was two people. From the time he was conceived, he had a propensity for idolatry. Recall the story of, of, of Rebecca. She's pregnant, and what's happening? The two are fighting inside her. Yitzchak Avinu understood the nature of Esav. He appreciated the challenges Esav would face. Yitzchak also understood the opportunity that Esav had to rectify the sin of Adam Arishon. We see that Yaakov Avinu has the same face as Adam. But at the same time, David HaMelech, who completes the 70 years from the 930 of Adam, he's born red and ruddy in a way David HaMelech, King David, is a tikkun of Esav as well. More on this in the future. Adam rebels before Hashem. Hashem gave him clothing that symbolized the rebellion. Nimrod continued the rebellion in those very same clothing. Esav kills Nimrod. Esav has the same character traits as Nimrod. Yet, we have to remember, Esav Zerasha, every sense of the word. But if he would surrender his defects of character to Hashem, he could have rectified the sin of Adam HaRishon even more than Yaakov Avinu. His test was so great, he failed. This is why Esav serves Yitzchak in the clothing of Nimrod. He is taking his begadim, his, tre- his treachery. He's doing the utmost to surrender to Hashem through the mitzvah of kivud av, even if it's imperfect. That's the mitzvah that is most identified with serving Hashem, as the Gemara and Kiddushim tells us. There are three partners in the creation of man. 
Hashem, the father and the mother. Yaakov did not have the same challenges of Esav. He spoke pleasantly to his father. Esav spoke demandingly, Get up, daddy! Yaakov follows his father's wishes. He doesn't marry women from Canaan as Esav did. Yaakov does not engage in acts of rebellion. He sits and learns Torah all day, but Yitzchak sees the true character of Esav. In truth, he is none of the things that he does, Esav. Like a pig in his current state, he's not kosher. The pig sticks out his feet begging to be kosher. But there's something very strange. The Midrash in Vayikra Rabbah says that one day, the Chazir will be Chozer. The pig will return. We see this is referring to Edom. Ultimately, Esav will return. Unkosher as Esav may seem, his inner desire is to return and return he will. The mitzvah of Kivud Avvaim is the pathway for the return of Esav. What's the connection between Esav's Kivud Avvaim and the Paraduma? It's known that the angel over Esav is the Samach Mem, the Satan. The mitzvah of respecting a parent rewards a person with long life. So on the one hand, Esav embodies death, the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, but he performs the mitzvah of bringing long life. Which one is the true Esav? The ashes of the Parah Duma mixed in water from a live spring are the antidote against the spiritual impurity of death. In other words, the mitzvah Parah Duma clarifies the true nature of Esav. He does not truly desire to be the Malach HaMavet. The act of honoring parents as practiced so perfectly by his descendant, by Dama Ben Netina, who was rewarded with the birth of a Parah Duma, shows what the potential true nature of Esav is. Finally, we have two more. I want to touch on how much time we have. Okay. I want to touch on Rabbi Akiva and Esav. Yaakov is named because at his birth he was grasping at the heels of Esav. The Baal Shem Tov explains that Yaakov was that Yaakov was drawing out the soul embedded in the heel of Esav. We talked about it last week. The Meor and Naim quotes the Arizal, Rabbi Hari, who explains that when Esav spoke to his father, listen to this, he says it was the voice of Rabbi Akiva that he was hearing. Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef. He's the children of Gerim. Says Rashi, Esav would ask his father Yaakov, Dad, how do I separate Maaser from straw? How do I separate Maaser from salt? The rabbis tell us, that Rabbi Akiva and his wife was so poor that they would sleep on straw. Akiva picked out a piece of straw from his wife's hair and he said to her, one day I'm going to give you a piece of jewelry called the Yushalayim Shel Zahav because you're wearing this straw. At that moment that all they had was straw, a poor man knocks on the, the door of Rabbi Akiva and says, my wife just gave birth. Please, do you have straw? All Rabbi Akiva had was that straw, and he gave it to the poor man. Fittingly, it's the spark of Kiddushah in Esav, which is Rabbi Akiva, that finally answers his question about giving 10% on straw. Indeed, the Baal Shem Tov said that it was the spark of Rabbi Akiva within Esav that asked the question in the first place. With this in mind, we could explain the inner meaning behind that amazing story brought down in the Mahzor of the tree. 
Rabbi Akiva is strolling through the cemetery. I don't know what you go strolling in the cemetery for. He sees a naked man, black as charcoal, carrying wood and hurrying like a horse. Stop, the rabbi orders him. The man stops. What is with you, demanded Rabbi Akiva. What's the harsh labor you're doing? If you're a slave and your master is pushing you this much, I'm going to buy you out. I'll free you. And if you're poor, let me make you wealthy. The man said, please, Rabbi, don't delay me. My supervisors are going to be very angry if I'm late. Rabbi Akiva says, who are you? What are you doing? He says, I'm dead. Every day they send me to chop wood and every night they burn me in the wood that I chopped. Rabbi Akiva asked, what, was the, what did you do in this world to deserve such a punishment? He says, I was a tax collector. I would favor the wealthy. I would persecute the poor. So said Rabbi Akiva, have you heard anything in Shamayim from your supervisors, from the angels who are beating you? That is there a way to redeem you? He says, yes, I heard that, but it's something that could never happen. They said, if I had a son, and if the son would stand among the congregation, and he would say Kaddish, and the congregation would answer, Amen, Yehesh, Amen, Abba, Mevorach, they would acquit me of my punishment. But he said, I did not leave a son behind. True, my wife was pregnant when I died, but I have no idea if she gave birth to a boy. And if she did, who's going to teach him Torah? I don't have a single friend in the entire world. On the spot, Rabbi Akiva says, I will find the child. He asked the man for his name and the town. My name is Ukba. My wife was Shoshiva. My town was Lanuka. Immediately, Rabbi Akiva set out for the town. He arrives there. He asked the people, do you know anything about this man, Ukba? May his bones grind in hell, they yell. He asked about his wife, Shoshiva. They said, may her name and her memory be erased. They hated them so much. Did she have a child? She had a boy, but we didn't give him a brief milah. The people hated her so much that even though they were obligated to give the boy a brief milah, they wanted to have nothing to do with him. Rabbi Akiva rushes to the child. He circumcises him. He asks permission to teach the child. He sets him before him. He tries to teach him the great Rabbi Akiva. And the boy won't learn anything. So he fasts for 40 days. After 40 days, a bat call comes from Shamayim and says, Rabbi Akiva, why are you fasting? He says, I made myself a guarantor before the lad. Immediately Hashem opened up the boy's heart. The rabbi is able to teach him how to read the Torah, how to say the Shema, how to say the Amidah, how to say Birkat Amazon. And then after he taught him, he brought him in front of the congregation. He made him the chazan. And he said, Kaddish. And he said, Barechu. And they answered him. And they answered, Amen Yehoshim His father was freed and came straight to Rabbi Akiva in a dream. Let your heart rest assured, he said to him, that you saved me from the judgment of Gehinam. The Gemara and Kiddushin, we all heard the story. And this is the basis for us saying Kaddish. The Gemara and Kiddushin teaches that after a parent passes away, we could honor our parents... And we honor them through doing good deeds and through saying the Kaddish. Kaddish is a form of Kivud Avayim. Now we can understand why it's Rabbi Akiva. The spark that dwelled within Esav that ensures that the son will learn Kaddish, honoring his father and saving him from Gehina. Okay, last one. Mordechai and Esther and Haman. The Midrash says that when Esav was growing old, he called in his grandson Amalek and he said, I tried to kill Yaakov, but I wasn't able. I'm entrusting your descendants to carry out the task. Do it for me. Be relentless. Don't show mercy. Generations later, the struggle is going to continue. We see with Mordechai and Esther, they battle Haman in the story of Puri. 
In fact, the Targum Sheni Haman, in the, in the Targum Sheni, Haman is introduced in the opening of the third Perek with a list of ancestors going back 20 generations, ending with Eliphaz, the father of Amalek. The clear implication is that the battle between Haman and Mordechai is another manifestation of the eternal battle between Yaakov and Esav. The Midrash goes further. The story of Purim, it tells us, is an expression of the battle between Yaakov and Esav. We read last week, when Esav heard his father's words that he gave the blessing to Yaakov, what does he do? He cries out loud a bitter scream. We read in the Megillah that Mordechai cried out loud a bitter scream. Rabbi Hanina said, whoever maintains that Hashem is lax in dispensing judgment, he should know just as Yaakov made Esav break into a cry, excuse me, later in Shushan, his ancestor Mordechai would break into tears. We see the same theme in the Kabbalah as well. The Nachal Kedumim explains that Mordechai was a Gilgul of Yaakov Avinu. Haman was a Gilgul of Esav. Says, miyad achi. We're going to see next week. Miyad Esav, save me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav. Why? Ki anochi. I'm afraid of him. Pen Perhaps he's going to come. Behikani em al habanim. He's going to kill the mother and the children. The word hatsileni na miyad has the rashet tevod hatsileni hey. Na nun mem miyad as Haman. As we will see in the story of Purim, the descendants of Yaakov move from survival to victory. Yaakov lifts his eyes. He sees Esav is coming. So he divides. Yaakov Avinu made the decision then. He bowed down to Esav. A decision that would not be rectified until many years later says that in the in Megillat Esther we see every day Haman came and who wouldn't bow to him? Mordechai. So they asked Mordechai, why won't you bow to him? The Midrash tells us that it's a reference to a conversation that occurred between Mordechai and the servants of the king. The king's servants asked Mordechai, why don't you bow? He says, your ancestor bowed to Esav, why don't you bow to Haman? He says, which of my ancestors bow? They said, didn't your great-great-grandfather Yaakov bow down to Esav? Mordechai answered, I'm a descendant of Benjamin. And when Yaakov bowed down to Esav, Benjamin was not yet born, and Benjamin never bowed down to a human all the days of his life. Just as my forefather didn't bow to Esav, I, who come from the tribe of Benjamin, will not bow to his descendant. Hazal tell us that the fight between Yaakov and the Malach of Esav occurred on the night of Yom Kippur. In that fight, Yaakov was victorious, but he suffers an injury, the Gita Hashem. says, what happened? Yaakov, he, he, even though he bowed to, to Esav, it ultimately would require a tikkun from Mordechai, the descendant of Benjamin, to fix it. This is perhaps why the rabbis tell us that Purim Yom Kippur is Kepurim, like Purim. We establish the Purim story represents a continuation of the battle between Yaakov and Esav. We have one more difficult question. Mordechai returns to the king's gate. Haman rushes home, mourning, and his head is covered. What was his head covered with? The Gemara explains. 
that Haman is leading the horse that has that has that has Mordechai on the horse. He passes by his house. His daughter imagines it's her father riding the horse and it's Mordechai who's pulling the horse. So what does she do? As a descendant of Amalek, she does what she thinks is right. She takes the waste and she pours it on the head of the person she thinks is Mordechai. It turns out to be her father. What does she do when she realizes what she did? She jumps off the balcony, she commits suicide. This explains why Haman returned home with his head covered with filth and mourning the death of his daughter. But there's a question on the Gemara. We all did things that our, to our parents that we regret. Sometimes we do them accidentally, other times we do things on purpose. Haman's daughter made a mistake. It happens. She certainly was doing something that she thought her father would be proud of. Why would this mistake be worthy of committing suicide? There are many beautiful answers. But Rav Yitzchak Sorotskin, he gives a very interesting answer. He says, we clearly show that one mitzvah that the descendants of Esav excel in is kivud Abba'em. We saw it with Esav and Yitzchak, Eliphaz and Esav, Dama ben Netina. We saw it. We saw it through Rav Yakiva. Now we're going to see it with Haman and his daughter. The zechut that sustains Amalek is still kivud Abayim. No matter what her intentions were, Haman's daughter understood she embarrassed her father. And in her world, that meant there was no reason left to live. Amalek can only survive if they are true to the lineage of Esav. Once they stray from their heritage, there's no capacity to continue. Inadvertent or not, if you stick your hand in the fire, you get burned. Perhaps this explains something about Esther, who's the heroine of the story. It's so interesting that the rabbis tell us that Rabbi Yochanan said, now remember, who's Rabbi Yochanan? He says, fortunate is the one who never saw his father and his mother, as it is so difficult to honor them appropriately. The Gemara tells us Rabbi Yochanan himself never saw his parents. Esther, who was orphaned of both her father and mother, never had the opportunity to cause pain to her parents, and thus she's the perfect foil to Haman, who's connected to Esav, whose midah is kivud abayim. We have more, but 8 o'clock. I think we need to stop here. We give a tremendous insight, not the least of the importance of respecting parents, especially while they're with us, but even after they're gone. I think the Gemara says it best. Rabbi Hanina says, and if this is related about one who is not commanded by the Torah to honor his father, as Dama was a Goy, a Gentile, and nevertheless he performs the mitzvah, he's given a great reward. All the more so is one rewarded who is commanded to fulfill a mitzvah and performs it. As Rabbi Hanina says, greater is one who is commanded to do a mitzvah and performs the one than someone who is not commanded. There's so many amazing things that we could see in this, in this parasha, in this whole essay. Trying to understand Eliphaz and his connection and how the rejection of Timnah causes, causes us to have Amalek and how a grandfather relates to the grandchild, Yitzchak to Eliphaz and Esav to Amalek. We see really the tikkun of Esav somewhat in Rabbi Akiva. We see the tikkun of Esav in, in uh, Dama ben Netina. We see even in the relationship between the daughter of Haman and her father. We see so many things that we should examine and go further. God willing, next week when we're going to have the wrestling match between 
the angel of Esav and Yaakov. We're going to go further into this battle between Esav and Yaakov. And we're going to ask a question. Can there be peace? Can there be peace between Esav and Yaakov? Can the vision of Yaakov, Yitzchak Avinu, where he sees them as partners come true? Can there really be the same way we saw the beauty between the relationship between Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and Antonina Caesar? Can that be the relationship of the future of us with Esav? So God willing, we're going to continue on that next week. And... Uh, and we're going to go, uh, go forward. So everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Have a great... Uh, have a great... Uh